Mike Prada, what's up? Oh, there we go. Hello. Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Loud and clear. All right. Hi. How are you? I'm a little exhausted. I just, my, uh, my lady friend's moving in on Saturday and I'm moving stuff around to create space and, uh, been moving a lot of furniture on my own. And I probably, I'm not 24 anymore, Mike. I probably need some help, but we're trying to get things done in between phone calls. How are you doing? Hello? Well, this is a big step. This is like what getting the marriage really is. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where we're headed, man. That's where things are going. Now, How are things your way? Yeah. I mean, man, your connection is pretty brutal. I'm not going to lie. You can barely hear you. You know, kids are, it's my, hold on. All right. Uh, Is it any better now or no? A little bit, a little bit. You're also on a crazy long delay. I am. Hold on. Sorry for the technical difficulties, everyone. We'll figure this out in a second. Uh, uh, Did it be because I have wireless headphones on? Um, no, I've done it with AirPods before. I mean, honestly, if you just speak into your phone like it's on speaker... That's how I do it, um, and it, it works pretty well. Okay, hold on. Uh, let me see if I can do it on there. You sound pretty clear right now, to be honest. Really? Okay. Sorry yeah, about that. Yeah, there you are. Uh, no, it's all good. Yeah, now it's a... Now it says I'm on I'm on the computer app too. Hold on, I have an idea. This will solve the problem. Just give me two minutes. I'm sorry. Where is? No, you sound good right now. All right. Well, if you say so, tell me if I sound bad, and I'll just I'll, I'll go <laughs> Yeah. Right. Um. Well, yeah. We wasted a lot of time here, so let's just get right into it. Uh, Actually, I'm hearing all of my echoes now, all my things back in your volume. <laughs> I think. Is that any better? Um, maybe. I haven't, yeah. I haven't spoken yet. No, yeah, give I'm me still two here. Minutes. Give me two minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, okay. to. Okay. We're going to take a question from Kyle. Sorry, but. We're going to take a question from Kyle. I'll be right back. Kyle, what's going on? Jake, man? how's it going, buddy? Can't complain. Can't compl- I can complain a little bit about Mike's audio quality. <laughs> but other than that, you know, I, I just wanted to say that this has been an interesting year, and especially leading up to the trade deadline. 
it just seems to me like with the playing tournament and how close teams are to each other, like especially in the West, um, you take a team like uh, San Antonio um, and, and maybe uh, Charlotte and Hornets. There's, it just seems to me like there's very few teams that are going to be in fire sale mode. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are still in 11th place, 12th place that are a game, a game or two from being in the play in tournament. And everybody is like still trying to figure out if they're going to be, you know, buyers or sellers at the trade deadline, you know? So I guess my question here is, does it seem like, we're going to be in a situation where there's going to be more buyers and sellers this time around. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And that's kind of been the situation I think from the jump here, right before the, uh, right before the, you know, December 15th quote unquote trade window opened. I mean, at, at, at this juncture where things stand, we've got the Houston Rockets are a clear seller. Uh, Eric Gordon, they're looking for a first round pick today. I, I heard Jason Tate uh, is, is a player that, has gotten a lot of or has received a lot of incoming calls. Um, the Spurs have Jakob Pertle and Doug McDermott and Josh Richardson, and then everyone above those two teams in the West, outside the Thunder. Who the Thunder, I think, you know, are clearly playing and winning game after game, uh, looking to compete on the court right now, but didn't have you know organizational plans on competing for a championship this season, obviously. So I'm not expecting the Thunder to be real buyers here. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, but, but you know, everyone else is clearly a buyer, are clearly looking to upgrade and improve. Um, and in the East, you've got the Hornets, like you mentioned, but even the Pistons, who are at present, they are the worst team in the in the East at 12-37, the second-to-worst team in the league overall. I mean – you can't really blame the Pistons for not thinking that they need to sell off veterans like Bogdanovich and Alec Burks to get worse because they're already there. So I understand why the Pistons are holding firm and wanting to keep Bogdanovich, at least for now, um, and slotting him as a, a veteran piece for next season. So Absolutely. You, you go down, the, I mean, they're really – that's why there's so much attention on the, on the Toronto Raptors in that teams are looking for a seller to emerge. I mean, the, there there could be veterans like – you know, Buddy Heald that's available in Indiana, um, that becomes available in Indiana, I should say. But, like, the Pacers aren't doing a, a clear fire sale either. So, um, you're right. It, it's it's clearly a seller's market right now. Um, and that is why I think the Toronto situation is so interesting because if they do decide to make a bunch of those dudes available, there, there will be offers and there, and there will be a competitive market that could drive – um, the value of each of their guys uh, to interesting rate. So uh, we'll certainly see what happens. You know, one, one interesting tidbit about Toronto is that uh, media guy up in uh, Toronto said something the other day about OG Ananobi wanting out of Toronto. And that hasn't been said anywhere else, but that one guy up in Toronto. So, it's like, where do we, what do we, where, <laughs> how do we take that with a grain of salt? Because that, that, that was interesting coming out of that guy, that radio guy up in Toronto. You know, we, how do we take that? I mean, is that something to, to watch? 
So, I mean, I wrote about Ojananobi's situation in Toronto last summer at Bleach Report. And look, it started in the combine uh, last May where a lot of teams and agents meet, you know, under the table and have discussions and word started to spread um, that his representation at least was looking to find him a different opportunity and one where he was getting more opportunity on the ball and more shots, et cetera. Um, and I think clearly that situation hasn't changed and that he's not, you know, the third or the second or the first option in Toronto. That just isn't going to be the situation as they're presently comprised. So could that, um, could that change if they move a Fred Van Vliet and all of a sudden he's now has you know, more opportunity? Maybe. Um, but I have not heard that OG's requested a trade, for example, or that he's pounding the table trying to get out of there. I, right. I, I haven't heard that. But would he be interested in a different situation where he's getting more shots and has the ball in his hand more often? I mean, that seems to be – um, that seems to be clear, yes. But is he like looking to get out of Toronto, or is you know completely unhappy? I I, I can't confirm that, but yeah, it, it's it has not been like an obvious direct. He's taken a leap, and he's getting more pick and roll handling. I'm not trying to put words as not that's what he wants, but I'm just saying and he's clearly fourth in the pecking order behind Fred VanVleet, Scotty Bards. Um, and Pascal Siakam in some order, depending on the night, depending on the matchup. Um, and I see someone in the comments running Jeremy Grant 2.0. Like, it is a pretty similar situation to where Jeremy Grant was in Denver before he left for Detroit. So, um, yeah, that's all I really have to say on that. All right, brother, I'm going to let you get back to your uh, to Mike up there. Oh, and- no, you were, you were a, sa- a savior in programming. Appreciate it, man. Mike, what's up? Can you hear me now? You sound great. I really do hear you loud and clear now. Okay. It's still not letting me use my microphone, but it seems like we can make this work. I apologize. It's all good, man. It's all good. Technology can giveth and technology can taketh away. Yeah, seriously. So uh, good thoughts. Uh, I love the question about OJ and Obi, considering you were the first one to bust that story kind of open last summer, right? Yeah, and I I mean, it's just the Raptors haven't been good, man. Like, you can look at them just like you can look at the Lakers and say, oh, and the Lakers are only five games out of the three seed right now. They're only three games out of the four seed. The Raptors are, in theory, only five games out of the six seed, and they're, you know, clearly within spitting distance of getting into the play-in tournament, but... I mean, they're they're behind your Washington Wizards right now in the standings. Like, are I, they I, really? <laughs> yeah, I guess they're Wizards. So, I don't know. I, I I find it hard to believe that anyone evaluating this team is looking at this roster and saying that it has worked in reality more than they thought, or as well as they thought it could on paper uh, at this point in the season. 
Yeah, no, definitely not. And the other thing with Toronto is that all their guys are up for contracts very soon. Yeah. OG in particular uh, has, I think he's one more year after this. So I wonder if actually what's really cooling the market for them is that aspect where if you're another team and you're looking to acquire OG Ananobi, how do you know that he's going to stay? And if you don't know that he's going to stay, what are you willing to give up for him? And if you're not willing to give up that much for him, Toronto, why would Toronto trade him? And I think that applies to Fred Van Vliet as well. So, yeah, we'll find out what the real story is, I suppose, after the deadline and the posturing happens. But to me, that that seems a little more likely than Toronto being like, oh, no, we really got to keep this guy. Yeah. Even though well, that's what the state is, stated sort of approach is right now. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't think the interest in OJ Ananobi is sparse. I think if they were to – I think if the Raptors were to call – every team in the league right now and say, Hey, we're making OG on available. Give us your best offer. We're moving him by February 9th. I feel like they would have plenty of interest and plenty of picks and all that stuff on the table. Um, especially to bring this back to the wizards. Like when Rui got moved, there were a couple of people from rival teams that said to me, well, if Washington waited and OG was not put on the table, or John Collins doesn't get moved, that maybe people would have been willing to pay a bit of a higher price than what the Lakers ended up paying. I don't know if that's real. I don't know if because, you know, clearly the Wizards didn't think that was coming um, from all their canvassing and all their conversations. But do do you think that uh, that return was enough to to move him now? Would that have, if, if you were at the controls of the team you grew up rooting for, would you have pulled that trigger so early uh in this trade season if i were at the controls of the team i grew up rooting i would do a lot of things differently <laughs> let's just say uh i i mean i would have moved Rui like before i know there were some issues where i think his value was difficult to ascertain as he took sort of that that uh mental health break after last year it's sort of teams were probably wondering like what are they going to get from him but all the things that caused him to be upset with his situation, all the stuff about now they're, they're spinning it as we're going to give Denny Avdia more time, the sort of choice between do we keep Kyle Kuzma or Ruri or Denny or what combination, well, we can see these things coming from a mile away. I mean, at least I could. I mean, it's not like these are new problems. So I would have probably been more proactive, you know, I would it at this point, like it's hard to move him for much less. So I suppose what's the harm? But I mean, he was really, really upset with this situation. And I don't, the way he was playing, he wasn't passing the ball to anybody. If you watch some of these games. Uh, so, I mean, I just, I would have made this move or some other move or been more realistic about the possibility of this situation arising like much sooner. I mean, I probably wouldn't have drafted him either. So like how far back are we <laughs> going here? You know, but just, I just have trouble understanding how a team could look at the impending situation, the log gym that has been created with all these guys and the lack of development and the up and down that Rury and Denny have been having coupled with the sort of growing prominence of Kyle Kuzma to their franchise, let's say. How could anyone look at all of this, look at this team, look at some of the other guys that they have? I mean, Corey Kispert doesn't play the same position as Rui, but, like, they're all kind of like this wing player. You know, how could anyone look at that and not think, like, one day we may have a problem with minutes? Yeah, I think 
you know, everyone in the league says you can never have too many wings. And then it seems like every team that does ends up running like into issues with it. Like the Hawks just sent Kevin Herter out the door because of, you know, accounting purposes. And he's obviously been fantastic in Sacramento. So, yeah, I, I think you can have too many two-way wings. I, the, the problem, of course, is that Rui Hachimura is not a two-way wing. Exactly. And neither is Denny. I mean, you can never have enough two-way wings. You can certainly have enough one-way wings, you know, whether it's in either direction. Like, if you smashed Rui Hachimura and Denny Abdia together, you would have it a great player. But unfortunately, they they are half of the same – two sides of the same coin and two different people. So, I mean, yeah, you can have too many of those people, especially – I would say if they're young and developing, you know, where they need some time and space. And, you know, you also consider what this team has been through over the last three years. I mean, they've had three very different types of teams. You know, it's been said so many times, but it has to be repeated. Like, where is this team going? Kind of nowhere. You know, and so that affects development. And in that situation, if you've got two guys who – you know, need some court time or need to figure out what their best role in the league is. I mean, it was probably hard to eat for, for the Wizards to even figure out like how much these guys like Rory was even worth, you know, because they, his minutes and his role have been all over the place for three different teams. That's the cost of, you know, there is a cost of meandering where it's like, you don't get the high lottery picks and you don't get into the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. There's also a cost to the developing players you have where, your ninth pick every year, which is already a worse player, is not in a great developing situation because there's no clear thought process of, like, how do we get from point A to point B with him? So in that case, yes, you can have too many wings. Generally, yes, I would say if you're a team that's trying to win, you can't have too many two-way wings, but they're just there aren't that many of them that are actually really two-way players. That's why they're so valuable. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I think – that's kind of been the the through line of all these lottery failures, right? Like Corey Kispert and Avdia. I mean, Johnny Davis has not even gotten off the bench here. Like Does they're he, all. Yeah. Does he exist? All, he was he was playing down in the G League Showcase. I'll tell you that he was there. Okay, I like to just consider Jordan Goodwin to be the first round pick the Wizards had. That just sort of makes me feel a little better. Jordan Goodwin, who will by all accounts, be rewarded a standard NBA contract before his 50 game or at his 50 game limit, whatever it comes. Seems like that will be happening. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably likely and probably needed. Of course they did just trade. They did just trade for somebody who plays his position, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, what, I mean, where do you want them to go from here? Cause I'll tell you what I'm. I'll reiterate because I talked about it a bit earlier with Anthony Irwin. We really, we really explored the Lakers' angle of this trade. Um, but you know, the, the Wizards have been adamant they're not moving Kyle Kuzma, um, and both Kuzma and Kristaps Porzingis seem likely to opt out of their player options in in search of a long term, uh, lavish new contract. Um, seems like both players are open to sticking around, but obviously maybe it's not obvious. To me, it's clear that Kuzma's market and interest in him around the league is far more vast than Kristaps's, and so he would present the more logical flight risk 
Um, but the Wizards are seem to be kind of doubling down here with the Rui trade uh, to both clear up finances, but also to kind of signal that they're so confident they're going to bring him back that they're not even going to keep the Rui Hachimura insurance blanket. Um, what say you about that strategy or where, where things stand? Because, uh, you know, the team is better than the Raptors, as we discussed, but they are presently outside the play-in picture, and this is a team that I think even the most optimistic internal projections from Washington's side of things was really hoping they would kind of max out as like a six seed. So um, that hasn't exactly uh, has exactly come to fruition here. No, I mean, what can I say that wasn't said four years ago or eight years ago or 16 years ago or 12 years ago? I mean, we're – I feel like we're in Groundhog Day. This this happens all the time. You know, in 2008, they had this choice of, do we keep Arenas and Antoine Jameson, give them new contracts, uh, you know, coming off a year where Arenas had been hurt and they won 43 games, surprisingly, uh, or do we pivot to rebuild? And they said, well, we kind of have to keep every, the whole game together, even though we're pretty average. That didn't turn out so well. In 2016 or 15, you know, they had maybe a better team slightly, but they had to decide, like, do we want to keep Gortat and Ariza? You know, they kept Gortat. They topped out. Uh, In about 2018, you know, they had a problem where Otto Porter was making too much money. They just dumped him for expiring contracts. This was after paying him a a, a lot of money before. And now... You kind of have the same dilemma again. It's, you know, do we want to keep these guys who are mid-prime players in Kuzman, Porzingis, uh, and commit to this average, this kind of so-called big three? Uh, or and, and or do we, you know, bottom out? And they seem to just be following the same path again. And it's harder for them to, to bottom out because, you know, Bradley Beal's on a five-year max with a no-trade clause. So... You know, you almost look at it and you almost wonder if, like, the whole point is to be a team like this. Like, I don't know how else you can describe it. What they're doing is making any sense. You know, they they just they almost seem to always want to inch by. So, to me, it's just Groundhog Day again. Uh, what would I do? I would do not this. I don't know. I hate to be more simplistic. <laughs> but, you know, I think I would have either said, like, okay, we're we're trying to win. Let's, like, trade all the kids. Let's put all our draft picks on the table and I know they've had the complication of they can't trade this one because of the John Wall trade. So yeah, I would put it all on the table or I would bottom out. And again, all of these problems that we're talking to this, this challenge, this, at least to me, like I could have seen this coming. I mean, maybe Porzingis with his health was not as obvious as a opt-out candidate, but I mean, Kyle Kuzma ever since last year, I mean, he's on a below market contract, and he has this looming free agency on the horizon. You know, the second you traded for him, you had you inherited these two years left with all these guys at his position. Like, why is it only now that you're like kind of trying to address this logjam? Where is the proactivity that a franchise needs to, you know, maybe make a tough decision that maybe sacrifices something in the short term that is better for the long term, that sacrifices, you know, the whole or the a sum of a part to kind of add up to a better whole? Like, where is all that? They haven't had that for 20 years. So why would they start now? Charlie Saturday in the comments. You know who was kind of a solid Washington Wizard? Christian Leitner. No, he wasn't. No. <laughs> no. 
Um, I I no. prefer to forget the Jordan era. It's it's so emblematic of what this team, the like small time nature of this team. They're just happy to have like an aging Michael Jordan. They didn't actually have a plan to do anything meaningful with their team. They just wanted to launder Michael Jordan for two years. Sorry, don't like that era. Yeah, I think. Look, I think the goal that's been communicated to me of this recent tenure, recent regime, if you will, has just been to make the playoffs, just been to be competitive. And this year that that's remained the same, especially being that their, their first round pick is lottery protected. Um, and, and that's by, that's, that's kind of been the, the emphasis of, of doubling down on, on building around an all-star and Bradley Beal. Um, but I think, there was a very, very, very strong argument to be made that Washington would have been best served trading him this time last year when interest was probably at an all-time high. Um, I was going to say, what about this time two years ago or this time three years ago in anticipation of this Supermax or what do we do question? Like for once in your, your lives, can we be proactive about something? Can we act too early rather than too late? That's what I want. That's what I, I would do. I didn't know this was going to be a therapy session for you. Sorry. It's it's just, you know, I, there there's a lot of talk that like, oh, what were they supposed to do? You know, Rui was going to be a free agent. He wanted to leave. You know, three seconds isn't the worst value for him. Like, what could they reasonably have, have expected? And, you know, on the surface, if you look at it just as like an individual trade, I think that's probably accurate. Like, I don't think... I, I, of the three, Kuzma, Denny, Rui, Rui was the wor- was not better than Kuzma, and he had less utility kind of to a longer term vision than Denny, given his skill set. So I would have moved him too. But so the and the tra- and the fact that they were able to get that much for him now, like if they wait, it's hard to get le- again. It was hard to get less, but like I'm not, I don't think they're going to get any more for him if they waited two weeks. Uh, the problem is that. It's that they didn't do something about this last year or mm-hmm. the year before. You know, if you look at, I mean, all these teams, I mean, I, I think about Memphis a lot. And Memphis did something last summer that may come back to bite them in the in the playoffs, uh, but I think was very kind of emblematic of their strategy, of their commitment to what they're doing. They traded DeAnthony Melton for a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. anticipating that Melton, I think, was, what, two years out from a new deal. There would be some minutes problems. I think he wanted a bigger role. They maybe traded him too early, and they maybe will miss the Anthony Melton come April or June. But that is how they operate, and they stuck to what they do. They stuck to their kind of commitment to scouting. They have a very clear identity of what they want. And maybe, you know, David Roddy, John Conchar, uh, Zaire Williams are not – going to replace what DeAnthony Melton gave them. And maybe that will be a bad trade at the end of the day. But they weren't thinking in terms of, are we getting the best value for this player? They were thinking, what is best for our franchise? Uh, Trading DeAnthony Melton will help these other guys and help clarify a situation. They may be moved too early with the way Melton is playing. But I'd rather do that than move too late. Um, I'm going to run through some comments here. J-S-C-H Morin, if I'm, I don't know how to pronounce that username, but I'm reading it, asks, is there any validity to Will Barton being bought out? I think he's definitely available for trade right now. And 
I think, I mean, their rival teams are making their list of potential buyout candidates, right, to compare against the cost of guys who um, they'll have to trade for now or even guys that they, you know, why would you trade a second-round pick, let's say, for a Josh Richardson in San Antonio um, if you think he's just going to get bought out and you think you can sign him on the open market? That happened to Andre Drummond in Cleveland before. That happened with uh, Goran Dragic in Toronto last year. Um I mean, Will Barton hasn't exactly been the player that uh, Washington thought they were acquiring from Denver. Do, do you think he's got any real trade value, or do you think the buyout thing uh, makes sense? No, I don't think he has much trade value. I think you nailed that situation. You know, it's funny. He, he has been an effective player in the past, and it's just – but this is another example, right? Like, where when you got, when they got Will Barton in that trade, like, what exactly was he his role supposed to be, you know? Like where 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 was he gonna fit in? I mean, he's a backup. He's a, he's gonna play alongside Beal. Like that. Does that mean then you're not gonna play your young kids? You know, in that spot. You know, why have all of them there? You know, like is it really a surprise that his value is cratered? To me, not really. Yeah. Um. Have you been paying attention to the Portland Trailblazers at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Let me let me tell you how many games of theirs I've watched. Hold on, because I keep track well, of it. Uh, Fifteen. All right. Well, Josh Hart is the name that people want. I don't know necessarily what the Blazers are trying to do. They've been linked to a ton of front court type people from my conversation so far. I got to do more digging on that before I can confidently like bring names to the table. Um, But that's what I can say for now. I also don't necessarily think that, I mean, it seems like Josh Hart will in all likelihood, because he's got a wonky contract um, set up from new Orleans, which um, I think they were trying to be creative with that um, in terms of his trade value. Um, But now he's got, uh, a player option um, for next season where it seems like there's a strong chance he'll decline it. Um, it's for 12.9 million and he'll probably have to get more. So he, that's, you know, <clears throat> that, that's a situation that is similar across the board with, you know, the Toronto guys with Gary and Fred. Um, so maybe Toronto, maybe Portland is starting to come to the realization they won't be able to retain him. Um, where do you think he would slot in kind of this power ranking of Jay Crowder and John Collins and Bogdan Gordon? Hmm. Like, is he someone that you think could actually really draw a first round pick or something of that value here? Probably not. Unless, you know, what you could, what I could see is like, maybe there's a team that will do a <clears> trade <throat> where they'll, they'll trade back some long-term money plus a first round pick to get Josh Hart. Uh, I don't think Miami, like, I don't think uh, Miami needs, Josh Hart, but like maybe if there's a deal where if there's a smaller contract than Duncan Robinson around the league, that's like for maybe a, a year or two more, you would trade a first and that contract to get Josh Hart. It's kind of funny that Josh Hart is one of those players who everybody really likes until he's in a role that he's overexposed for. And then everyone's like, oh, maybe we can do better than this. I really <laughs> like his game. Uh, like, I think there are, like, I think there are a lot of teams that, like, I look at Milwaukee, like, I think Milwaukee could definitely use him. Uh, 
for sure. Like, I don't know if I'd with Bobby Portis injury, maybe I would still prefer Jay Crowder just for his experience, but you know, I, I bet I would, I would take that. I mean, would, would Portland do the Grayson Allen something or other uh, trade that they were already looking at for Jay Crowder? Would they do that for Josh Hart? I don't know. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned Portland. I mean, Portland in a lot of ways is sort of wizards West, you know, they're, they're very much looked at in kind of the same way where, it's like they're kind of not really going anywhere, but they're doubling down on what they have. To me, the difference between them and the Wizards is, one, Damian Lillard is both a better player than Bradley Beal and more beloved locally than Bradley Beal. Not to say that people don't like Beal, but, you know, Beal is not into the conference finals, which leads executives to think, oh, you know, we could potentially get back there. Yeah, I mean, it was a, they did that did happen uh, for sure. Um, but I, I think also just like, Lillard and Portland have a much different connection. It's much more akin to what John Wall had with DC when they were yeah. at their peak. So to me, like there is a real like cost of not doing right by him that kind of goes beyond not doing right by Bradley Beal. That and Portland's a small market. Freighters don't go there. DC only acts like a small market. I don't know if you knew this, but DC is the capital of the country. <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell from experience with friends in the area when the capitals are good man it's a basket it's a basketball town really i mean you look at you look at high school basketball and college basketball you know the the problem is that when your pro team has been dog crap for 40 years you're not going to be that enthusiastic about the pro team for sure um going more through the comments here what's the hold up on jay crowder to milwaukee i mean this there hasn't been a deal done like if the if the Suns if the Suns had interest in anybody on the Bucks roster that was available, a deal would have happened. But well, let me ask you a question about that now. Yeah, sorry to jump in. What's no. the impact of Matt Ishbia now being able to take over the team before the trade deadline uh, rather than after? In terms of because we know that a lot of deals can fall apart at ownership level. I mean, what if you, do you have, what's your sense on how that may grease the wheels for Crowder or anybody else? Honestly, I don't think much will change because I have been told all along that they have clearance to do what is needed to do to, to win. And Robert Sarver from everything I heard heading into this season before should hit the fan for him was willing to spend and improve this team to try to win a championship while Chris Paul is under contract. Um, and I mean, I think a lot of people around that team and around that situation understand that the Suns post Chris Paul futures is, you know, not like so uncertain, but it's certainly murky. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it took a big step forward um, adding him. And I think everyone else has, has, Taking a step forward, obviously, Devin Booker's emerged as an MVP candidate when healthy, but in DeAndre Ayton's situation is not exactly, you know, you, you don't write him in stone as the Suns' starting center of the future, where I don't believe, and no one I've really spoken to believes that the Suns have interest in paying him $30 million plus uh, for the next four seasons. So, like, outside of Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges, I mean, even Cam Johnson wasn't able to come to a contract extension this summer. Like, I don't know how much certainty there is around this team. So I I think there is clear motivations to keep improving and getting better. I mean, there's the the word around the league about Phoenix now is that they're looking for point guards and guys who could 
maybe back up Chris Paul now and be his replacement later or start next to him, whatever. Um, so we'll see what they end up being able to pull off. But, I mean, clearly they overplayed their Jay Crowder hand and um, thought that he had greater value than, than he actually has had. Um, or just that the teams that are interested in him don't have the capital or don't have the obvious returns that the Suns would like. And that's why you keep hearing uh, that deals involving Jay Crowder are three-team structures. And there was going to be – I mean, there, there was definitely a three-team deal between Phoenix and Milwaukee and Washington that would have sent Rui to Phoenix and would have sent Crowder to Milwaukee that um, they just weren't able to figure out the salaries – uh, for being that Crowder makes $4 million than Ruby does. Um, and they're just Washington from what I've heard. I haven't heard as much about that as I would have liked to. Um, just you know, had to move on to other things. Um, but just Washington would have had to send out more players than they would have liked. And oh, no. Stuff. Oh, no. Sending out more Washington Wizards. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> But oh, I mean that's just. Would they have had to send Will Barton. Goes <laughs> <laughs> to show that like it's so tricky for Crowder to get to Milwaukee, um, and for Phoenix to find back what they're looking to get for Crowder. That I, I would be at this point. I mean, I'd be surprised if if Jay Crowder isn't moved via a three team trade. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it'll be it'll, you know, I one of the things I'm I'm kind of curious to see how this plays out uh long term and this deadline, you know, the fact that I think you started the show saying it it's a seller's market. The play in tournament has made a lot more teams feel like they are buyers. And when there are more buyers than sellers, there's not theoretically there's not a lot to trade. Uh, but I sort of wonder if, like, maybe this state of affairs, and I thought we saw this a little bit last year where I think it was a more active deadline than I think people anticipated. Yeah. You know, this, the surprise uh, trade with um, Halliburton, the Chris Asporzingis trade uh, kind of coming out of left field. You know, are we going to start to see, like, maybe a return to, like, teams making, like, basketball for basketball trades, you know, yeah. where it's legitimately not about, like, kind of dumping – I mean, there's always going to be – dumping money there's always going to be those like sort of second round pick to get out of the luxury tax deals that i we all love but will there be more teams that maybe aren't thinking as much in terms of like kind of how do we find the rebuilding team that's trying to cut salary and add salary maybe we'll see like kind of more like for like kind of contracts for different types of players getting traded so maybe it maybe it is more realistic for you know I don't know exactly what the setup would be, but you know, maybe it is more realistic that two playoff teams will trade with each other or two yeah. teams that are with playoff aspirations. I think it it's too early to make any conclusions with the way the play in tournament has warped the trade market. And I just you know, you look at someone like Crowder, I think in in theory that's a player that shouldn't it's hard to trade because you know, Phoenix wants Jay Crowder back for Jay Crowder, essentially, you know. Um, but this goes to the non basketball stuff you're talking about. And he wants a big contract after this. So that's also playing a factor in his talks as well. But you're right. I mean, I've kind of been saying that. I think we're going to see more. I mean, they're kind of both Washington trades, but they are both Washington trades. But that Monty Mars for Will Barton and Will Barton for KCP and the Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans for Porzingis. Like, I think we'll Mm -hmm. see. I think we'll see a couple of moves in that vein where. You know, a big for a small or a forward for a guard or, you know, that type. I, I do think that 
has a lot of potential to happen here um, because teams do want to get better. Everyone wants to get better, but there isn't that obvious buyer seller, you know, type of situation that, that, I mean, we went over the top of the show, like you said, I just, I don't think we're going to see a ton of teams just decide, you know, we're, we're tanking. And, and also because the other side of the playing conversation is that, the, the lottery reform makes it pretty easy for the eighth team, the eighth worst team in the league to get a top four pick too. So you don't easier, have to. You don't easier have than to, it was for sure. Yeah, easier than it was. So you don't have to tear apart your team to the nth degree to find lottery luck. It's, it's very interesting how it's changed the whole dynamic of everything. Yeah, I mean, there's also, I, I just also wonder about the psychological element. I always, that's what I always wonder about, the sort of non-quantifiable element of, winning a playing game. You look at like a team like Memphis two years ago in New Orleans last year, even Minnesota going like what's more than all in like kind of shoving, like doing the thing where like kind of you, you shove all your chips in, but then you like take off your shirt or take off your watch and take off your throw, like actual money on the table, like jumped off a cliff and are hoping to land somehow. Yeah. To for Rudy Gobert. I mean, how much of that was, was motivated, not just by the competitive series against Memphis, but also the, you know, the win over the Clippers where the, the building is wild and Patrick Beverly is jumping on the scoreboard or, you know, you look at teams looking at what New Orleans, I know they've, they've fallen off recently, but, you know, the way they use their play and success as a springboard and just created all this energy is that, and, and I think that's that very much motivated what happens to Sacramento this year would be a similar scenario where, yeah. you know, is there just sort of this like kind of energy that comes from being, a playoff team or winning a winning winner go home game to be able to say like we accomplished something that like kind of big moment that whether subconsciously or not is playing a role in some of these teams that would otherwise maybe pivot the other way. Like I just, I always believe that there are more than just mathematical fit, fit, you know, aspects to it, even if it is sort of based mostly on the facts of the situation. I, I think there's just, you know, it's not just that you make the play and it's that you have the possibility of winning a winner go home game and what yeah. that feels like. Yeah. You know? I was making the argument this time last year because the Wolves the Wolves all last year were teetering on the on the edge of six and seven, right? Like they were mm-hmm. seven seed, they were six and they were seven seed. I was I made the argument to to friends in the Wolves organization that getting the seven seed could actually be a positive and having that winner go home game and have that kind of appetizer for the playoffs. And it almost worked. I mean, they were, they were this close to beating the Grizzlies, man. And it, it would have been a pretty fascinating sliding doors moment in the league. If Memphis ends up flaming out in the first round versus Minnesota and, and kind of how, how teams go from there. Um, it might've it worked too well, <laughs> given what they did with Rudy Gobert. <laughs> I'm saying. I mean, I really. I, <laughs> it might have worked too well. I wonder. I wonder if if they beat Memphis and don't just get destroyed by Brandon Clark on the glass for six games. Oh yeah, that's that's a good point too. I mean, that I think I think that's absolutely true. I wonder if they instead really go in and go after Dejounte Murray instead of Rudy Gobert. It's very it's very interesting. But yeah, um, we've to- we've talked a lot. I got to run, um, Mike, from the Athletic. And the author of Spaced Out, How the NBA's Three-Point Era, blah, 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 blah. 
<laughs> wow, it's that long a subhead. Okay. Based on, <laughs> um, anything you want to say? Anything else you want to plug before you get out of here? No, not really. Just um, you know, I I am Jovan Buha's editor, so I have a very busy next couple of weeks with LeBron Chase <laughs> happening. So that should be fun. Well, thank you for the time, man. I'm sorry that. Uh... I'm sorry that your 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 fandom has not uh, made you more of a fanatic of late. Let's say that. Oh, I'm a fanatic, just you know, not a happy fanatic. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back tomorrow. One more call in this week. I got a lot of more calls to be prepared for it. Um, but we will have the great Mark Stein tomorrow. Mike, thanks again. Thanks everyone for listening, and take care.